mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? In your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. As we continue with this evangelist's testimony on Jesus the Christ, um, John 12, 12 is where we're at, but by way of remembrance, by way of bringing us to the same place together in our spirits, remember that Jesus spoke Lazarus come out of the grave and then he asked the people there to unwrap him, loose him and let him go, remove his grave clothes so that he can go and make disciples. And then there was the place at the table, I'm trying to bring it where I don't want to talk too long on this, but the place at the table in chapter 12 as we open, and that's what happens. When you come out of the grave, it's the same as Revelation 3.20. Jesus is standing at the door knocking. He's standing at the grave. We're born dead. He's standing at your grave. He's knocking with his voice. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The question is, is have you heard his voice and come out of the grave? I know there's a whole new religion going on that says just believe, but you need to hear his voice. You have to have all of the Bible, 66 books by 40 authors. Why is there 40? Because that's judgment. Those 40 authors listen to the Holy Spirit, give you 66 books to listen to, to read, to understand, to spend time in so that your grave clothes can be removed and you can walk in the newness of life. And if you reject those, then you're the other six in the 66 and you have 666, the number of man. But you can choose to hear his voice and come out of the grave and then you can begin on the number seven, which is completion. Seven, seven, seven is the number. And eventually we will have a new beginning with God. In the heavenlies, eight is the number of new beginnings. The question is, and as you see this, we get to the table having a fellowship meal with Jesus. And that's where he wants us to be because he ate with his friends and he makes us his friend. He sat down at a table. You're reclining with Jesus, resting in his finished works because you understand what is going on 
in eternity that we're no longer flesh and blood, but we consider everything in a spiritual realm. This is a spiritual book. It's only spiritually discerned because we're of a spiritual kingdom serving a spiritual God. Yet when you hear it taught and you read it, you stay in the physical. How does this get me some stuff? How does this get me a treasure? How does this get me some food? How about how does this get me across the finish line into heaven where Christ is seated and he died so that I could be? How about do I become the witness that I'm supposed to be? Because as you see this, when someone hears his voice, he comes out of the grave. Now the world wants to kill him also. If you've heard his voice and you've come out of the grave, the world is not going to like you. The world is going to want to kill you because of what you're talking about, because of what you're doing and how you're living, because the grave clothes have been removed, and now you become a martyreo, a witness for Christ. You now become evidence that Jesus got up out of the grave. You now become evidence that God can speak life where there was once death. That's the Bible. We were born dead. We were in a grave. And God spoke. God sent his word to heal the land, to speak into our pit, into our grave, at the house of misery. And we choose to get up and walk out. It's not about going to an altar and saying one prayer. It's about hearing the voice of God Almighty and entering into his family and into fellowship with him and beginning to follow him because he knows the way out of this spiritual realm. We can't see it. And he puts his kingdom in you. And it begins to grow inside you. And it becomes a fire in your bosom that has to get out and tell others because you understand your identity in Christ. And you've been set free. So now they're going to kill two people. Not just Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus as we closed last week. Because why? Look at the verse here, 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. King James says, believed on Jesus. Because when you believe on God's provision for the sin nature, then you get birthed into the body of Christ and you become a saint where the Spirit of God comes into you and begins to change you from the inside out. And then what happens, Greg? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because see, John wrote all of these things purposefully, the way that he puts them in order by the Holy Spirit, so that you and I will believe. Look at, again with me at John 20. I want to keep reminding you of this because it's really a good teacher. Why is the gospel written? Why is this book written? Why was John written? Why did he write it some 35 years after the other three synoptic gospels? See, this one was written 35 years later when people began to already walk away and become apostatized and not believe in the things that happened. And John came back and he writes the spiritual side. He writes these specifically, each one of them, for what? Look at John 20, 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs, miracles. What are signs? Remember, I do this all the time. You want to know what a sign is? You want to know what it's a miracle? You know what it's there for? If this wall is here, it's brown. And you look at it, you go, wow, there's a wall. You might not even take notice of it. But if I put a sign on there that says wet paint, now you know something more about that wall than you knew before. And now it's going to draw your attention to it 
so that you'll start to search it out and understand. And you'll stay away from that wet paint because you don't want it on you. But here, Jesus does these signs to draw you to him. Why? Because this. Well, look what John says. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, his learners, those that are following him, in the way with him, his pupils, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Mashiach, the anointed of God, God's provision for the sin nature that the whole world waited for, the Son of God, messianic term, and that believing you may have life in his name. Do you have life in his name? Listen, I believe. That's all I hear people say is, I believe. What do you believe? How has it changed your life? Are you removing the grave clothes, allowing somebody else to remove them? Are you following? How has it changed your life? Believe is the word pistio. It means to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. In this case, God's provision for the sin nature. It means to make a commitment and to trust Him. And then it means to follow Him with a constancy. Why? Because we're in a grave. We're down here in a pit. We're going to die. This is all going to burn. And the only way out is Jesus the Christ. And when we meet him and we hear his voice, we come out of the grave and then we begin to follow him where he's going. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. We follow what his spirit is doing. We want to be conformed to his image. Listen, we start at the starting line and we go, Jesus is my example. Don't judge me, man. Listen, Jesus is my example. Then where's he seated? What's he doing? Are we becoming like him? Don't start at the starting line and tell people to quit judging you because if he's the starting line, he's also the author and the finisher of our faith and we need to get where he's at. And what's the devil doing, Greg? Well, I'm glad you asked. He's trying to deceive you so that you'll follow some other path. He doesn't want you to see the light. He doesn't want you to be led by the Spirit. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He wants you to think that it's okay just to say one prayer and be done. We need to wake up in the church because we've been lied to. An apostate religion that teaches us that everything's finished. The Bible doesn't teach that. Why would it have 66 other books? Why would we say, I mean, I'm in Christ. I'm in the family. Take me home. I'm done. Oh, really? Why didn't he do that? Because we are his witnesses. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses, martyrs, one who dies for their faith, martyrs. Why? To be witnesses for me, where? To Jerusalem, teaching peace. All Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're not here to be spectators. We're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to learn from Christ and follow Christ and go and finish what Christ has started. We're his hands and his feet. And yet we've been sold a false bill of goods. Because we won't be Bereans and get into the word of God. So what's the next thing that happens if you come out of the grave? The next thing is the triumphal entry. That's our next text. Listen. Because the Holy Spirit wrote this so that you would believe. He put it in an order where you'll understand it. You can see it physically, but it's actually happening spiritually. And there's a conclusion to it. 
You become conformed to his image. You're led into heavenly places where you're already seated. You have positional salvation, which is we're already there. But there's a practical walk of the saint. That's why we're left here to be witnesses so others can see that there's a living and true God because of where you're going, how you're going, who you are representing as an ambassador. This is amazing stuff. Because if you come out of the grave, guess what happens next? There's a triumphal entry of Christ into your life. That's the next text. It says the next day, Christ is entering into Jerusalem. On the appointed day, Galatians 4.4 tells us, in the fullness of time. Let me just read it to you real quick. Galatians 4.4. After 2 Corinthians... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth. Isn't that what he just said to, listen to me. Isn't that what he just said to Lazarus in chapter 11? Lazarus, come forth. And then he sent forth his son, born of a woman, virgin birth, born under the law, became our kinsman redeemer, to redeem. This is why he came. Redemption. He's our kinsman redeemer. Those who are under the law that we might receive. Notice the word might. There's power there, but you have to choose to follow it. The adoption as sons. And because you are sons, or you can translate this word children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, planted his seed in your heart. The Holy Spirit crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer slaves, but a son or a child. And if a child, then heirs of God through Christ. We become joint heirs with Christ when we do believe. And we no longer live the way we live, like paupers, like sinners with a sin nature. But we begin to understand who we are and where we're going and what we're here for and what we're doing. And we begin to search this out. Because he called us for a reason. And there's a triumphal entry that comes into your life. Let's pray and read, or let's read and then pray, I should say, uh, this text and see what God would say to us through it with this triumphal entry. Now, all four of the Gospels actually cover the triumphal entry. Oh, you guys don't know what that means? It's actually the, the Palm Sunday. You know, we call it Palm Sunday. We just celebrated this a few weeks ago. Um, Palm Sunday is the week before Resurrection Sunday. But it's really not Palm Sunday. It's triumphal entry. Because this is what the, the fullness of time was all about. Was when God would take flesh and come and die a living sacrifice. And he would get up out of the grave. And he would be led by the Spirit for 33 years. And then go to the cross and die for us. And take our curse. This is what all of life is about. Everything looks to that date. Old Testament looked forward to it. Now in the New Testament we look back to it. Why are they trying to kill it? Because it's the only date that matters. It's the only thing that matters. In life. 
Because if he didn't get up out of the grave, we're playing games. We're pretending. If he didn't get up, death still exists. But that's the last enemy to be defeated is death. And it now has no sting. It has no victory. And yet we still give it victory. We still sit around and cry at the tomb or, or at the grave and mourn over our loved ones who died. And I'm not telling you never cry. But we don't mourn the way the world does. Because there's been a triumphal entry of Jesus who we've been following. Who's leading us where? Out of the grave. Into the heavenlies. You know, there's a... There's, Simply what we've been talking about is that you're born dead, you're in the grave, you hear the voice of God, and you come out of the grave. And now you have to make a free will choice. Am I going to die to myself? Now you have to choose to die willingly. This is what salvation is all about. That those that God first loved would love Him and choose freely to let Him transform them into the image of God. This is not plan B, this is plan A still. Where now we choose freely to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Him. We choose freely, as Paul said, to die daily. We choose freely to say, as Jesus did, not my will, but thy will be done. We choose freely to read His document of a will and testament, and then ask the Holy Spirit to give us power to obey it to observe it, to follow it. Because obedience is worship. Ooh, that's a big one there. Now you want to talk about me obeying? Well, didn't Jesus obey it perfectly and that's where we got our righteousness from? And if he's our example and he came down to do thy will, O God, it behold, it's written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, O God, then he's our example. Should we not desire to do his will, O God? Well, what's his will, Greg? Salvation of souls. Why, Greg? So that the Father would be glorified. And he would have those that could enjoy his fellowship for eternity because they choose to freely. We have no capacity. We have no ability. We have no desire until we choose him and he begins to plant that seed in us and then transform us from the inside out. Inside out. Inside of where, Greg? The grave. And we come out and grow fruit of righteousness out so that others can see that there's a living and true God. You're going to see it in the text. I'll read it here in a minute, but I'm just so excited about it. I thought I'd paraphrase it for you a little bit. We'll go back and talk about it. If you come out of the grave, it's that dead seed rising out of the ground, out of the soil. He spoke and put breath in Genesis like 3-6 or something. No, 2-6. He spoke and put breath into the soil, into the mud. And it chose not to follow. But then when we hear the voice of God and we come out of that soil, out of the grave, of course they use caves, now we understand it more. He'll give us the analogy of the seed falling to the ground. Oh, falling to the ground? No, no, falling into the ground. It's a grave that we're in. Because death is all we deserve. Death is all we have through the wages of sin. And we have to come out of the grave. And He is life. So you have to come to Him. And then you have to learn to listen to Him. 
or you'll be living in the grave thinking you're alive because you said a prayer one time. You'll think you're following him and you're running back into the grave. Pit dwellers, tomb dwellers, loving the graveyard. Nothing in the graveyard but death. Well, Greg, why, why on earth would they, why would the Bible say that the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air? Well, I have my opinions. For one, they're six feet lower than us. Well, they're going to get a new body. Two, it's evidence that it was true. Think about it. When we're gone, if people go to the graveyard and all those graves are busted open and they don't see anybody in there, isn't that evidence? See, that's what is happening here spiritually. If you really have been heard the voice of God and you believe God and you trust God and God has called you out of your spiritual grave, then there'll be evidence and proof that'll be seen. Faith is the substance that things hope for. It's where I put my hope. But it's the evidence of things not seen. But after you walk by it, after you walk it out, that evidence is there. Just like with the Shekinah glory of God, it's behind you. And people say, wow, he knows somebody that I don't know. He's following somebody that I'm not following. He has peace from someplace that I don't have it. He's resting in the arms of Christ. His God is real. That was always the plan of God. But they joined the world. They joined the nations around them. And they never followed God. They made up their own little religion. And they shook their fist at God. And they said no to God. And the fool has said no to God. And yet because we won't sit down and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and, and grow us and change us from the inside out and bring life out of our death, we're afraid to be planted in the soil, both physically and spiritually. All of us are afraid to die still. If you're afraid to die, that, that, that really means that you don't understand what Christ did. Paul said he, he was ready to go. The saints were all ready to be martyred. And in the same sense, if you don't want to surrender to God, then you're hanging on to the grave clothes. You're hanging on to the grave and you don't understand who you are in Christ and you think there's something down here that's worth hanging on to. There's absolutely nothing worth hanging on to down here. It's a grave. This is a graveyard. It's a courtroom, but it's a graveyard. I love the analogies of God. Why else would it be that the most famous stuff and the stuff we like to watch is blood and gore and vampires and stuff from the graveyard, stuff from the dead? Why else would we have the zombies and all the witchcraft and stuff if this wasn't a graveyard? He warns us against us in the Bible and we go, it's okay, I said a prayer. I can watch what I want. You do have liberty to do whatever you want. All things are lawful because you have freedom, but you, they're not profitable. They will not grow fruits of righteousness. They will grow fruits of death. When you choose to go back into the grave and you choose to try to roll the stone back over your life, think about it. It's like a dog returning to its own vomit. How nasty is that? That's the way God puts it. A pig wire, uh, going back to the miry clay, rolling in the mud and going, I'm clean, I'm washed, I'm good. 
No, you're rolling in the mud. Now I'm good. Don't judge me. I'm good. Really? I'm telling you now, I would, I would literally encourage you to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Because if somebody lied to you with the gospel, you might not even be in the faith. Oh, I, you, you can get irritated with me, but the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't you want to know it on this side of the grave? What if we believe the false report? Jesus said that about the Jewish nation, the, the, those ruling authorities. He said, you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, to win one person to God. And then what do you do? You make them twice the sons of hell. Twice dead. That's what James talks about. Twice dead. We don't want to be twice dead. We don't want to think or guess or worry about our salvation. John writes the little book of John that you may know, not guess, wonder, and worry. These things I write to you that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the Son of God. It's a constancy. It's a walk that you have to be focused. Listen to me. This is not a joke. This is about your soul. But we've been lied to and say, all you got to do is say one prayer, you're good. Well, not if you're not following, you're not, because you're following some other voice. If you're not following the voice of God, being led by the Spirit of God in the Word of God for glory of God because of the kingdom of God and because souls need to be saved. That's why we're here. So there has to be a triumphal entry. And if there's a triumphal entry, there's going to be some pain and suffering. See, he enters in triumph. And it, it, on the 14th in the song, they kill him. Because they could not bring any wisdom or counsel against his wisdom. Because he's God Almighty. And there is none against him. So let's read and then we'll spend a little time unwrapping this greatest gift ever given to us. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, said on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see, you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there, was a certain, now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law, and that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is, the son of, who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light, children of light, King James. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Let's pray. Father, we long to be children of the light. And we want to walk in the light as you are in the light. And we can have fellowship with one another. We don't want to be in darkness in the grave. We don't want to be in darkness thinking that we know where we're going and we're blind still. Thank you for calling us out. Now make a triumphal entry into our hearts. Plant your Holy Spirit in us. Seal us until the day of redemption and allow it to grow fruit. Some 60, some 30, some 100 fold. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in our text, it's 12, 12 of John. They're all there. Notice what it says. The next day. So now we know it's the 10th of Nisan. Listen, this is all in calendar. This is all written down. This is all the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the 10th of Nisan. We covered this a few weeks ago, not, not less than seven or eight weeks ago, uh, as we did our Resurrection Sunday, the week before Palm Sunday or Triumphal Entry. And we know that this all comes from Exodus 12. I'm not going to do it again. You can go back and find the message and listen to it. But I can tell you the highlights. Exodus 12. It's the Passover festival being instituted. Right? On the 10th of Nisan, the last plague is getting ready to come upon Egypt so that they will know that God is God of gods and that nobody has wisdom or counsel against God. He's already told Pharaoh, who's a type of Satan, who's in Egypt, it's a type of the world, let my people go. What did Christ tell us to do? Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he said, let my people go. That's the message that Moses was bringing to Pharaoh. And he kept changing his mind and hemming and hawing and, and, and deceiving and saying, okay, I'll do it this time. Ask your God to relent with these frogs, with this lice, with this debt that's on the whole nation. 
God pronounced the death of the firstborn of Egypt, all of Egypt. He made a difference in Goshen. Goshen means drawing near to God. Drawing near. In Goshen, they were drawing near. They were listening to the word of God. They were waiting for their deliverer. And he made a difference. And he killed. And that first night, he killed all the priests of the temples of Egypt. All the false priests. What did he prove? That he was God and God alone. If any of them were worshiping a real God, they would have stopped them from dying. See, he had power over death even in that moment in the Passover. You would take this all the way through. This is what's still going on with the Passover festival. And he said on the tent in the sun, that's why this is the tent in the sun, the triumphal entry. On the tent in the sun, choose your lamb. Huh? Yeah. On the tent in the sun, choose a lamb according to the size of your family, and then watch it until the 14th in the sun, and then at twilight, kill it. And then take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house. And then when the death angel comes, he will pass over and not kill your firstborn. But he's going to kill all the firstborn, all the priests of Egypt, all the lying priests, the false priests would die. That's what this is about. On the tent in the sun, when they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, what are they saying? If you go back and read it, in Psalms 118.26, it says, save now, save now. See, they're choosing Jesus as the Lamb of God. The other, this, is, this is covered in all four Gospels, all four testimonies of this. And in the other ones, what they do is focus upon what happened in the city where Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple. You're the temple. He wants to cleanse it now with the washing of the water through the word. They cover what they were asking him. But in John's gospel, what does he do? He's, he's done with his physical ministry. He's done with the people. of, And all he's going to cover is how he dealt so gently and lovingly and kindly with his disciples and led them to the grave, led them out of the grave and led them to the fact that he was getting ready to die. But don't freak out. When you've returned, he said to Peter, strengthen your brethren. He's, he knows what's going to happen with them because they're still afraid of death. But he's trying to tell them, I'm defeating death in this very sacrifice. And so in the Passover, in Exodus 12, that's what we're talking about here. The tent and the sun, the other gospels cover the week of questioning where they keep questioning him. They're inspecting him. They're seeing if he has spot or blemish and they decide that he has to die. What say you? Does he need to die or is it you that needs to die because you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection? See, that's where we need to be. If we believe that he's the Messiah, then the first word he said was repent. Die to yourself. Turn the other way. Come out of the grave. Metanoia. Change your mind and quit living in the grave and come out and follow me who is life. So he's fulfilling it. It was always about him coming and giving life, saving his people. He delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. He delivers me and you from the bondage of sin out of the world that's underneath the control of the devil. And he completely defeats death. The same way he did in Goshen. They were drawing near to God. There was no death in Goshen. Not a bit. I'm not going to spend too much time there. 
Notice that it was when they heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did they hear that Jesus was coming? Have you heard he's coming? He's coming again. Where's he coming? To Jerusalem, teaching peace. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jerusalem means, teaching peace. Because everybody was at odds and the enemy of God. And the only way to have peace with God is to receive him triumphantly into your heart. His blood over your heart's door. And he's knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, free will, your choice. Only one doorknob on the inside. I hear, I surrender, I want to follow. I want life. I don't want to go to hell and live in death. I don't want to stay in Bethany, the house of misery. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, the instructor, the teacher that lives inside. That's the seed that's in us. And that's, there's no other way to grow fruits that look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That look like Jesus. That look like God in the image of God unless you come from the seed of God. This is a natural law. You plant corn, you'll get corn. So if you keep planting death, you're only going to get death. Listen, all of our lives, we've lived in death. We planted death. And we still have stuff that was growing in death, but God has put grace upon it. And as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, as you plant life in your heart and you keep growing, it pretty soon that crop of good comes over top of it and you begin to see down on the death. And you can actually see from the heavenlies down on it and know that where you're seated at. And there's evidence there's proof. There can be testimony and a witness because I see what God has done. And even if they slay me, I'm going to serve him. Because death is not an enemy anymore. Death is the finish line where we're with him forever. That's an amazing thing because that's what the whole plan is about. That's what salvation is about. That's what deliverance to safety, being made whole, is all about. And yet we fear it. As if God's not in control. And the enemy continues to bring everything into your life to make you fear it because you're not surrendering and learning your identity and walking in the newness of life, being led by the Spirit of God. So you still fear things that have no power over you. You see it with Adam and Eve. We were afraid, so we hid ourselves from you when we heard your voice. Listen to me. It's the whole Bible. It doesn't just start once. It goes all the way through the whole Bible. Are you hiding from God, or are you surrendering and drawing near to God, listening to God, getting into the Word, prayer, and fellowship, reading the Word, even when you don't understand it? Lord, what are you saying to me? I don't understand it, but I know you're the light and I'm going to follow the light and come out of this grave because I know you're leading us in a parade of triumph the way the kings would do. They would take all the spoils and lead them in front of the enemies who were now in bondage, their hands tied. They can't do nothing to you. So he leads us in life past death into the heavenlies. Death has no more sting, has no victory. Christ is our victory. And in Christ we stand. It's a solid rock. Can't get around it. Oh, you can be lied to. You can follow a liar. 
You can say, oh, I'm just going to believe what I was told by my grandma. I ain't picking on your grandma. But Christ doesn't have any grandkids. You won't find if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you can become a grandchild of God. Sons and daughters, one family, no grandchildren. Even in the Bible, you have, you have 40 generations and they go, he was the son of Adam. They don't count grandkids. Son of David, Jesus. 14 generations later, wait a minute, what about all these? He's son of David. He came from the same loins. You, we all come from Adam's loins. And when you believe spiritually, the seed is planted in you. You give birth to Christ. And now he starts to grow in your life. And there's going to be evidence. Or we haven't really received him. And we need to know that on this side, this side of eternity, not the other side. impossible for his seed to be planted in the soil we're the soil we were made out of mud we're the soil he's planted in us and he needs to grow how does he grow Greg when you put the water of the Holy Spirit upon him instead of physical lying deceiving teaching that has no water that's why we have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof it's in the power of the Holy Spirit the spirit that raised Jesus from the grave the spirit is God well, they're all three, God, and I don't know how that works, but I love it. Are we awake today? Have we come out of the grave? Are we walking in the newness of life? Are we searching out to find out what this life is about? Or are we still searching the graves to find out what death is about? Don't you know? It leaves a terrible taste in your mouth. Death. That's why you use mouthwash. That's why you brush your teeth because you're, it's dying in there. Because flesh is made to do nothing but die. That's why we take a bath. It's dying. Okay. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. What'd they do, Greg? They took branches. It's one of his messianic names. He's the branch of palm tree. Date trees is probably what it's from. It's the palm branches off of date trees. If you look it up, it's really interesting because it's the word phoenix, which I could not comprehend, so I'm not going to even try to explain it to you. And went out to meet him. You ready to meet him? Man, they were ready. They were like, man, we're ready. They didn't even know for sure that they were fulfilling the Passover festival. But it is the tenth of Nisan because God works it out perfectly. Everything's done in the fullness of time. And they're going out to choose him. They believe through all the miracles, especially now, he just raised Lazarus. And, it, and the word's going out. Lazarus is alive. And we've seen him. And he's running around. And we're like, man, he was four days in the grave. And they told us that if anybody was in the grave more than three days, there's no way that their spirit's hanging out. Lying teaching. Jesus even met them in their lying teaching and he waited four days to prove that he had power over the grave and they're all like man we got to go choose him he's got to be the messiah we're all looking for a messiah we're all looking for a savior and they say save now hosanna hosanna save now you can go back and read it. I'm not going to read it because we'll run out of time. It's, it's Psalms 118. The whole thing is about the grace and the mercy of God. And, and before, it talks about the salvation. It talks about the stone, the rock, which the builders rejected, the Jewish nation, has become the chief cornerstone. This is a marvelous stain in our eyes. 
And then it says, save now, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Whose name are you coming in? See, because if we're born again, now we're under the authority of the name above all names. There's power in no other name. There's salvation in no other name. And the name is the mark of an identity. And then you have an identity that's in Christ. It's hidden in him. And now you become Christ-like to others, the light of the world. You're carrying the word and the testimony. You're you're going out with the witness. This is powerful stuff because you can't do it on your own. And if you're I'm like, man, I can't do this. This is, I might as well go somewhere else. Then you're feeling like anybody else would if they don't trust the Holy Spirit to do it. See, if God can do this, he can do the rest in your life. If he can raise Jesus from the grave and he's the first fruits buried in the ground, raised up, and now everybody else can come to salvation and many grains, many, many other people just like him can be born and grow fruit, we become the other fruit. It's amazing that he, that he wrote it into the Bible. More than one harvest. More than one resurrection. more than I mean, he wrote all this stuff in there. There's no wisdom or counsel. He's outside of time. He knows what's going on in your life. Come and surrender and say, I don't know anything else, but I was blind and now I see. I was in a grave and now I heard his voice and now he's made a triumphal entry and I want to know why I'm not changing. Think about it. Because if he's made a triumphal entry in your life and you're still doing everything you used to do, what's the problem? Maybe you're not watering the word. Isn't that what he says in Ephesians 5? Husbands. He's talking about marriage, but this is a marriage. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you both agree with the same set of facts at the same time and say, I will. The problem is, just like the children of Israel, remember they were led out and they told Moses, we will, we will. And before he could get back down from the mount, they already didn't. They already broke every commandment to where he got so angry, he throwed the tablets down. And God had to rewrite them again. That was a marriage ceremony too. They were a a nation that he wanted to be believer priest. He wanted them to be the priest, but he had to bring a law up so that he didn't have to kill them. It was the grace of God that protected them there until the fullness of time when Christ came. Marriage. So anyway, he says, husbands, in this case, our husbandman is Christ. If you're the church, if the seed of Christ has been planted in your heart, it's pregnant with possibilities. If you'll obey, it'll grow on its own. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, died. Right? that he might what? Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. The word is the seed. The water is the Holy Spirit. It grows the fruit out of our lives. And yet we say a prayer and then ignore the Holy Spirit, grieve, quench, lie to him, and, and then we ignore the word of God. And these are the things that wash us and cleanse us and allow newness of life to grow up out of us so that practically we become what we already are positionally since Christ did it all for us. I like to explain it the way that if you like baseball, God likes baseball. The Bible starts within the beginning. So he likes baseball. 
I know. Sorry. And if you're a girl, now girls like baseball, so it's okay. But in baseball, listen to me. If you hit a home run, Grand Slam's funner, but if you hit a home run, what happens? Scorekeeper's already putting that number on the board. But if you don't run according to the rules and go around and touch all the bases, it doesn't count. See, Jesus hit a grand slam. Everything is done. The, the runs are on the board. But you still need to obey. Obey is worship. Why are these people here? They're here to worship. Why are they here to worship, Greg? Because they're keeping the three feasts that were given to them. That's worship. How do I know it's worship? The first time that the word worship is used in the Bible, guess where it's at? Anybody know? First usage is a big deal. Genesis 22. Well, what's that? That's where the father's taking the son, Isaac. Abraham is taking his son, Isaac, to Calvary. And they get a knife, and they get some wood, and they put it on Isaac's back. And he looks at his other servants, and he says, Stay here. Me and the lad's going to go worship. What do you mean? They're worshiping. They're going to obey God. Doesn't know how it's going to happen. We'll be back. But it's called worship. If Jesus obeyed perfectly... And that's who we've been given a position of. Why would we get saved and say we don't have to obey? We don't have to have a desire to obey. We don't even have to look forward to obeying because he already did it for us. No, if I want to be like him, I want to have the same heart he had. Behold, it's written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, to obey you, to obey what you've created me for. I'm not saying you get saved by obeying, but if the Spirit of God is in you and it's growing in you, there's going to be a heart to want to obey and become a living witness, to become like Christ, not, 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 not to get saved. Don't ever hear that. Grace alone, faith alone. But Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them i.e. obey the good works that he created for us walk it out how else will they know if they don't see any fruit of righteousness in our lives man don't put that burden on me i'm done i'm done you're judging me man no i'm telling you to be washed and cleansed to be sanctified to enjoy the place of rest that you already have and trust that God already took the penalty of sin. He's taken the power of sin. He wants to wash you and cleanse you and remove the practice of sin. And soon he will remove you from the presence of sin when you're glorified with him. But right now we seem to be having pleasure in sin. And we need to fight that. And the only way to do that is by surrendering and allowing him to make a triumphal entry and lead us out of the grave. Bring us out of the soil and up into the newness of life where we understand that everything is a spirit now. Everything's about a spiritual life now. And we're working on our spirit. But what our spirit is doing in here will come out as fruit out here on our bodies. That's why I have so much problem with the way people dress and act and do with their bodies because it's just an outflow of what's going on in their heart because of false teaching and a misunderstanding of our identity. How come we dress like death when we have life inside of us? It's a misnomer. 
The reason we dress like death and act like death is because death is still reigning in our hearts. That's not salvation at all. And listen, listen, don't go, oh boy, that just weighted me down and I'm shamed and I'm guilty. No, where we're going. Sure, you said a prayer. Sure, you believe. Now let's go that way. Let's get in the right direction. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's start looking for the light. Let's start following his voice out. Let's start going in the right direction instead of thinking we can haphazardly go anywhere we want, do anything we want, any way we want, and it's okay because I went to an altar. The altar's in here. This is where you went. You met him here. And you either say yes or no. And the fool has said no. But the one who says yes and yes and yes, Lord, is the one who wants to obey and understands you have no capacity of it, but you're going to follow him and let him put that desire and power in you for his glory. Not because of us. We never become anything other than children of God who's obeyed and we push the glory back to the Father. We give it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the Father. So that's where we're pushing it to. That's where we're pointing it to. The one who had the plan in the beginning to come and save them. The one who had the plan in the beginning to, to create free will uh, uh, beings that would choose life over death, choose his fellowship. Man, this is a heavy text. I thought we were just talking about singing that song, Hosea, Hosanna. You guys probably haven't ever seen it. Sing it. He's coming soon. Have you met him? Has he made a triumphal entry in your life? He's the king of Israel. Israel means one governed by God. He's the king. A king is only king where you, are, where you let him govern you, where you come back underneath his authority. He ain't my president. Oh, really? Is that because you're rebellious? Is that because you don't trust the system? Oh, I'm not, I'm not picking on nobody. Ain't none of them my king. Ain't none of them my president. King Jesus is who I'm choosing. And then somebody will say something. Uh, can I use that word stupid? Yeah. He ain't on the ballot. Yeah, he is. He is. He really is on the ballot. It's always been about his name. Be careful. We're in a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Who's on the throne of your life will decide everything else about your life. Who you're following out of the grave will decide everything else about your life. So then we're given a, a quick, quick... Um, triumphal entry here 14 then Jesus when he had found a young donkey set on it as it is written fear not daughter of Zion Jerusalem uh, city of David Zion behold your king is coming 
sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, it's Zechariah 9, 9, and you can read that because anytime a scripture is quoted in the New Testament, it's given reference to the entire text. They had the word of God written on their heart. So if somebody quoted it, they would automatically know to go to that text. It's like if I tell you to turn to Galatians 4, 4, you already know where to go and you go to Galatians 4, 4. In this culture, they didn't have the numbers in the chapters. So if somebody quoted a scripture, then they would know that the teacher was telling them everything in context with that scripture. So it's very important to know what the Old Testament says. That's why you have false lying teachers telling us we need to get rid of the Old Testament. Because if you get rid of the Old Testament, you get rid of Jesus. If you get rid of the foundation and the rock that doesn't move, you get rid of Jesus. Now you can come up with a new Jesus. Now you can come up with a new gospel that just says love, love, love and doesn't balance it with justice. Listen, and here, here, here goes, because I had this question yesterday. I said, it's love and justice. And there's somebody who took our justice, our, our penalty, our curse, and he's standing there with us at the judge's table. And he says, since I love, you can go free because somebody else already took your punishment. And they said, well, how's that fair? How's that fair to the person who did the crime? And I said, it's not fair unless that person changed his mind and stopped doing the crime. Because it's not salvation unless they have a heart to change their mind and stop doing the crime. They really didn't receive the payment for the penalty of sin. If you keep going the same direction, it's so totally unfair. And God's going to judge you. He's going to bring his justice back down upon you. Because true salvation has repented, has changed their mind. And at that the place where the judge judges, you begin to go the other way. Your life has been judged. You've been found in want. And you were under a sentence of death. But you can't come out of the grave and go into the grave at the same time. Because where you are, there you'll be. You won't have done anything except be self-deceived. Scary place to be. I'm okay. You're in the dark. I'm good. I know where I'm going. No, you don't. You're running into the wall. You're wrapped up in your own grave clothes and think you're fine. And still living death because you're using some other Jesus as your standard. Instead of the word of God that's clearly written for anybody who chooses to receive the seed and allow the teacher to teach us how to walk in the newness of life. Will we do it perfectly? No. I'm not giving you permission to sin, but you're going to stumble. You're going to stumble. And it's going to test your heart. A wise man falls seven times, meaning poetically that he keeps getting back up until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. But a fool falls by calamity. A fool just stays down and says, didn't work for me. I'm just going to say no to God. Where are you at in all of this? Pit dwelling, grave tripping, graveyard hunting. Setting on a donkey's colt, that means he comes in peace the first time. He's coming back on a white horse to judge. You got one chance. Appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. We get to choose today. As Luke 9.23 says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Taking up a cross was a means of death. 
Daily we're dying to our what we want to do, our will. Not my will, but thy will be done. This is not a one-time thing, guys and gals, because what we do is we turn around and deceive ourselves. We're sheep, we get behind the barn, and now we're lost, and we think we're going in the right way, and we're going the wrong way. We're going away from the shepherd, and he's going, hey, hey, come here, bah, come here. And he's, his voice is, is crying out to us. And we're like, I'm doing good. I'm taking care of myself. This is fun. I got me some money. I got me a house. I got me a car. I'm living the American dream. Really? But are you living the way that Christ said to live? That's the standard. That's who we're following. His disciples, well, I mean, he give, notice it says he found. Just means to find. We know that the other testimonies tell us exactly what he did. He told them where to go, and they obeyed him. They worshiped him. When you get the other side, they're still worshiping. The other three testimonies, they went and obeyed exactly what he told them to do, and they brought the donkey back. They brought it back to him so that he could ride in. It just, I mean, he wants to move beyond this and move us to this. His disciples, 16, did not understand these things at first but when jesus was glorified then they remembered that's a memorial that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him notice what they're doing to him his servants are doing for him these are his enemies they're doing it to him they're going to deny him these same people one week later listen Hosanna, you're the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Save now, save now. What are they going to do at the end of the week? Barabbas, Barabbas. It's a custom here that we release one on this celebrating day, this day that we celebrate uh, here in, in Jerusalem. And we're down here only to make sure you guys are not rioting. But we always release one of your criminals. And here's we have Jesus, who says he's king of the Jews. And we have Barabbas, who is a murderer, an insurrectionist. Which one do you want me to release? Barabbas! Why? What has Jesus done? He's innocent, seven times he would say. Barabbas! Because they were listening to liars. And the saddest part about it is that Barabbas means son of the father. Bar is always son. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's Ben. Benjamin, son of my old, son of my strength, strength in my old age which was Jacob's last son, Benjamin. And they choose Barabbas because they want the grave. They want the death because they're not listening to Jesus and his voice. They're listening to the ruling authorities and their voice. And again, today, they're wanting to stir you up and you listen to the government and you fight over who the president is and you fight over the physical. You fight over the grave and you've been set free from that. This is not your home. We're here for souls, and that's it. Our soul first, others' soul, as we become a witness and a light to those stumbling in darkness who think they're safe. Same battle still going on, has been since the garden. Whose voice are you going to listen to? Did God really say, come forth? They didn't remember until afterwards. And that's what happens. Oftentimes, 
What in the world? That was a storm. That was a battle. That was crazy in my life. Think about Christ. Hebrews 12. Think about Christ. It wasn't joyful on this side of the cross. Nevertheless, on the other side of the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And see, and that's the same thing with us. We're going to go through much suffering. Shall we enter the kingdom of God? Things are going to happen, and you won't know until afterwards. Count it all joy, James says, when you go through various trials. The word count it means thinking forward, thinking after. What fruit is God bringing? What is he doing? What's he preparing me for? How can I become more like him when I stand in his victory no matter what's going on? Can't do it staying in the grave. Can't do it following worldly leaders or worldly counsel. You need to hear his voice, hear his counsel, receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Things are going to go on in your life, and you have to trust that God knows what he's doing. It wasn't evil, it wasn't the devil. Proverbs 1, go read it. He clearly tells us, if you will surrender to God, you'll not be visited with evil. Now, is evil still exist? Is the devil still there? Are bad things still happening? Yes, but it becomes a scalpel in the hands of God when you're surrendered to God, hidden in Christ. He can't get to you, and you're safe in the beloved. But you might have to go through the graveyard to get there the valley of the shadow of death to get there. But there's a shadow. There's a greater light shining the shadow, making the shadow happen. And that's what we're going to keep our eyes on. He's, he, he doesn't shift or change. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. You guys love this book? You need to fall in love with this book. You're not worshiping the book. You're worshiping the God who said the book, who spoke the book, and allowed 40 men in judgment to write down the book by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that Elijah have, we have. And we will go point to Elijah and act like we want to be like Elijah and still like Jesus, the God who sent Elijah. Quit quoting dead men and start quoting the Bible. He's the one that's going to lead us out if we'll listen to his voice. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. Notice what they're doing. They're still there. They're still following. They've seen Lazarus. They've seen the sign. They're bearing witness. Bear record is what it is. It means to give testimony of truth. For this reason, verse 18, the people also met him. Because they heard, faith comes by hearing from those witnesses who are bearing record and uh, hearing by the word of God that he had done this sign, this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, here's what the religious leaders, remember they're the separated ones, the Pharisees, they're part of the Sanhedrin, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priests, about 71 in total. You see that you are accomplishing nothing. How much is nothing? I'll get that later. 
you are prevailing nothing. No, not without. Thanks, Ray. It benefits nobody. There's no profit. There's no assets in it. There's no advantage in it. You guys getting me here? This is what the Pharisees are doing. Everything that they're trying to do to get the people to turn away from Jesus, it profits nothing. There's nothing in it but death. They're not going to bear any fruit in it because God loses none. None is lost except for the son of perdition. So they're not accomplishing anything unless you try to allow them to. And if you'll listen to their voice... You was never listening to God's voice in the first place. You can take that thought deeper, deeper, and deeper. I'm just going to leave it there. They're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, obviously, we know it's, he died for the world. That's the cosmos. It's an orderly decoration. It's in the adornment of this orderly world. It includes the inhabitants herein. But it's really like hyperboil, right? A hyperboil? You guys know what a hyperboil is? It's a hyperbole. I'm teasing. It means he's speaking way above what it really is. And he doesn't mean emphatically that the whole world has gone after him. Wouldn't that be great? We wouldn't be where we're at now because the whole world went after him. Then everybody would be telling us about Jesus and we would have never been where we're at now because everything would have been bearing fruit of righteousness and nobody would have... Oh, oh, we'd have still been born in sin, huh? My goodness if everybody else lives right and you're born in sin it's not going to change you unless you listen to him are you with me here doesn't matter how good everybody else is doing if you're not listening to him his voice and coming out of the grave triumphal entry bearing fruit you can't just hang out in a bunch of grapes and say i have life you'll be the sour grape You'll be the complaining grape. You'll be the dead grape. You'll be the one that's broken off and they throw it down and they eat the other grapes. You want to bear fruit. We'll get to the vine. We'll get to the vine. He gives life. And when you get life from Christ, you're concerned with everybody else, not with yourself. It's one of the ways we know when somebody has life. They're more worried about what happened to somebody else than what happened to them. Because it's God-centered, others-oriented, and you become last. That's where you get joy. Jesus, others, and then yourself. When you keep looking at yourself, you're going to always be disgruntled, complaining, mad. When you're looking at your own self-life, that's the grave. That's dead. You're dead. You're a sinner. You're dead. You're in a grave. And if you're only looking at how it affects you, you're in the tomb. You're not outside of it because you're not looking at Jesus. And what he's doing and others and how they're living. You're not concerned about their life. You're only concerned about me. And that means you're still in the grave. You've never heard his voice to come out of it. Well, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm never going to say that. I, I can't pick nobody's salvation. But I can say you can, t same way Jesus did, you can epigenosco a tree by its fruit. You can recognize a tree by its fruit. And nobody ever looks at an apple tree and goes, do you see those oranges? Those are big oranges. Obvious in physical form that they're apples. So they say, did you see those apples? So a tree of life produces life. A tree of death produces death. And when you're in the grave, that's all that you're going to get. When it's full blown, it produces spiritual death, James says. Where are we at? 
because I'm getting lost in the text. It's so rich. They were accomplishing nothing. The world has gone after him. Would to God that that were true. Verse 20. See, there's a time when it all ends. Do you guys know that? It's all going to end. God set everything in time. He's outside of time, but we're inside of time. And he's got the calendar mark. And this is the 10th Nisan. And it's going to be the 14th Nisan soon. And he came once, just as sure as he came once and fulfilled all things, he's going to come a second time and fulfill all things. And there's a time when he stops. Look here at the Greeks. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship. Notice what they're coming to do. They're coming to obey. So they're proselytes, probably Greek-speaking Jews, but maybe not because for some reason they don't know where Jesus is at. They came to worship. How do you worship? You obey and follow the festival at the feast. Then they came to Philip. Philip, uh, fond of horses, lover of horses. Philip is a Greek name. That's why they come to Philip. He looked familiar. He was one of them. They're like, look, he looks like us. He's talking like us. Philip was a Greek who was born in Bethsaida, which means fishing house. It's the fishing house. He was born in the fishing house of Galilee, which means the heathen circle, and ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that what people want to see, really? Think about it for a minute. They see us coming out of a grave. They see us living like a grave. They don't see Jesus. Jesus. But really, they need to see Jesus. If they still see us and the same thing that we've always been, anyway, they say, we, we wish to see Jesus. My goodness, what are you going to tell people when they say that? If somebody comes to you today and wants to see Jesus, what would you do? I think it's, it's, it's really crazy good what Philip does. He doesn't try to become an island of himself, but he goes and finds Andrew. He finds somebody else to help him because Jesus sent him out in twos. He's like, hey, Andrew, look, Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew, hey, Andrew means manly. Act like men, manly, man up. Somebody's asking questions about Jesus. Can you answer them? We're always supposed to be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within us as his children. Think about it. If, you, if, you, if somebody came and asked you who your dad was, would you know? If somebody came and asked you to introduce you to their dad, I heard your dad's here. You can introduce me. Could you introduce him? He's in your family. Now you become born into the family of God and you can't tell nobody who your father is. You can't say anything about your family, about your hope, about your identity because you haven't been reading your genealogy and your life's history. This is everything about your life. You were adopted in by the Spirit, by which we cry, Abba, Father. So he gives us and makes us joint heirs, and this is all ours now. And we have all the riches and all the power of the heavenlies that has been put in our pocket to use to go hand out to others, to tell others about this great God and Savior. And we're like, you see a football game? I'm not picking on football players. I mean, you can talk about football sometimes. But I'm just saying, that's chief in our mind? Instead of the salvation of souls, and I want to see Jesus? 
we got to wake up to what fruit should be growing, what life should be growing in us. Oh, there's stuff still dying 25 years later. I still got stuff dying and stuff. You know what it does? It raises its head up. It raises up its ugly head. The flesh will raise up. He's waiting. He's always waiting to raise up. And you got to kick him right in the face and do what, Greg? Put soil back on him and remind yourself of the truth of God's word. Bury that dude. He's in the grave. He's dead. You don't want him getting back out of the grave. He will lead you into a pit. I'm okay. I said a prayer once. Then you have a whole bunch of head knowledge that doesn't do you any good. You want to try to impress everybody. So Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip both told Jesus. But Jesus answered them. Listen to what he answered them. Saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man, Messianic terms, should be glorified. Remember, he's going to pray about this in John 17. Glorify me with the glory I had before. So he's going to pray to the Father. So he's saying the hour is here for of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's time now. He's been saying all along in the book of John, it is not my hour. Remember at the wedding, the first in Cana of Galilee, the first the the wedding he was at where he did his first, his mother, he says, what's it have to do with me? It's not my hour. I don't care if they ran out of wine. But then what did he do? He gives us a spiritual understanding of what's going on. And those six pots were setting there, empty vessels. And he filled them with water. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. And he brought life into the wedding. And that's what happens even in your life. If you're married to him, the Holy Spirit brings life when you let him fill you. We get away from the wedding. Let's get back to this. So his hour is here now. And he's saying... It's too late. I'm no longer doing a ministry to everybody. This ministry now has moved and shifted. My face is set like flint. And this becomes little Gethsemane here. Watch this. Because we're going to see the Garden of Gethsemane soon. But Jesus doesn't make the decision in the Garden of Gethsemane. He makes it right here in little Gethsemane. He's making it now. Your decision for tomorrow is made today. Do I believe the word of God today? What did God say today? He's equipping you today for tomorrow. If you wait till tomorrow when the battle comes and it's on top of you and you go, let me think what I should do. You'll make the wrong mistake. Today you want to follow the word of God. Little Gethsemane is important. Gethsemane means wine press or oil press. It's where he squeezes the oil out of the the vine. And he wants to squeeze it out. And that's what happens in the battles. That's what happens in the trials. He's squeezing out now the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So you'll be ready walking in the Spirit tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. Allow it to happen today. So this becomes little Gethsemane. Uh, He says it's it's his hour to be glorified. 24, most assuredly, I say to you. Why does he go back to this? Look, he he said, my hour's now. And what's he going to speak about? Watch. We don't get it until all the way over. Where's that at? He says this. He spoke uh, concerning the death he would die. I'll get it to in a minute. Um, Somebody wrote all over my Bible, so I can't see. Write all over your Bible. It's yours. 
24, most assuredly, verily, verily, he's saying, pay attention, listen up, hear this. I say to you, this is personal, unless that's conditional. A grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It remains alone. Think about it. You put a seed up here on the counter. You just set it up there. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit there. Harden its heart. It's going to get hard and hard and hard to where at a time there's going to be no way to even use it. It's just going to be hard. But right now you can put it, put it into the ground and it can germinate and it can grow whatever it is. So if it's the seed of God in your heart, it's going to grow fruit of righteousness, love. Galatians 5, and 23. But here he's talking about himself going to the grave. It's his hour. That's what he's talking about. His hour is when he dies for the world because this is what he was called to do. He just called one out of the grave and now he's going into the grave to replace him. He's going to die for us. Oh my goodness, I'm going to pop. If it doesn't die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much grain, much fruit. It produces much fruit. Brings forth is what the King James says. It means to carry or to bear or to lead forth much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Listen. Jesus put his body in the grave, died. And when he raised again, he bears much fruit. He's the first fruits from the grave. We already know this. It's a pretty simple analogy here. And then he calls us out of the grave to life. And in life with him, because he died and rose again, we know that we want to die and choose to die, die to self, change our mind, and begin to do what he's called us to do so that he can use our life to bear much fruit, not just in our life, but from our life, through our life, for others as we're witnesses to them. And then he goes on to, to, to tell you about that because he says... He who loves his life, filio is the word, where we get the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, is fond of his life. I better get some words up here. Hmm. He who is fond of his life will lose it. Love can also be a servant word if you're serving your life, serving yourself. And he who hates, it means to love less, hateth, detest it, to love less. Try to hang on to it.
in this life, in this world, will keep it to eternal life. Read it again, verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. Are you hanging on to self? Are you hanging on to the grave life, to the sin nature? And he who hates his life, are you loving yourself less? Are you putting Jesus first? In this world, will guard it until eternal life. And losing it means to destroy fully. It's interesting that life is the word for breath or rational soul. And that's what I was telling you about. Because in the garden, he took dirt and he breathed life into it. And, and Adam became a living being. But then because of his disobedience, he became dead. Right? And then so the second Adam has to come. And then he puts his seed back in this soil, our old life, with a sin nature. And then when we die, he grows up out of us. But if you're still growing in your sin nature, you're still doing your own thing, and you're still loving your life and serving yourself and doing what you want to do the way the world teaches you in psychology, in the American dream, and all the lies that are opposed to God, because 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. So it's teaching you to get the most toys. It's teaching you that you're number one and you need to get it all and you're the best. And when you get to this place and you get to this place, then you can retire and go to the golf course. Where is that in the Bible? The only good self is a dead self. If you love self, you're going to kill self. You're going to die. You keep chasing yourself and chasing the grave. That's what he's talking about. It's your hour. This is our hour to shine where Christ is here and he wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. He wants us to talk about him and to allow him to live through us so that others can come to salvation. I'm not going to get to the end of this text. You guys get a couple more hours? Listen, this is not talking about being mean to yourself. He's talking about understanding that your sin nature will deceive you into going back into grave. And if you keep trying to take care of yourself and say, where's mine and let me get mine, let me build my own kingdom, when there's a kingdom that's supposed to be in you and you're supposed to be getting that message out the same way that Jesus began to do and to teach about the kingdom of God, we're supposed to be doing that. It's not a spectator sport. Anybody that's a spectator doesn't share in the spoils. Think about it. You're watching a game and they, your team wins. You go, my team won. You don't say, I won. You can, but you really didn't because you didn't play. Your team won. Somebody you was watching won because you were a spectator. Now, how do you know if you're loving or hating your life? How do you know if you're following Jesus? How do you know if you're being led out of the grave? Well, we've talked about it, evidence, but look what he says, verse 26. If, conditional, anyone, whomsoever, serves me, isn't that what he wants? Believer, priest, a priest serves God. What's he, how does he serve God? He goes to the people. 
if anyone waits upon me, acts as a minister or a servant, an attendant, serving me, what do you want me to do? Hand out the bread of life. Hand out the truth of God, the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus. That's how you serve him. Let him follow me, which means be in the way with me, being led by the Holy Spirit. And where I am, ego of me, there my servant will be also. Where are you at today standing? Are you where Jesus is at or are you where you want to be? Are you where Jesus is leading you to or are you where you plan to take your life? It's very serious. This is serious stuff, guys and gals. This is very serious stuff. Are you where the American dream taught you you should go because you have a career and you did this and you planned it out? Or are you where God has put you? Now, don't freak out because you know what? Many times you can do the natural and you wake up and you're really doing the supernatural because you've been listening to God. You've been following God. The Holy Spirit's been leading you. But you have to purpose that in your heart. You have to purpose in your heart to be careful because your flesh will take a hold of you and say, this makes sense right here. No, 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 no. It's not logical to keep chasing the grave. The word logic comes from the word logos, which is Christ. He's the Logos of God. He's the plan of God. He's the Word of God. And that's where logic comes from. There's no logic, anything logical apart from God. It's all illogical because it's said no to God. If you're serving Him, you'll know that He's where you're at. You can rest because He's there. He's got you. Because where He's at, my servant will be there also. And if you're not His servant, then you're not following him. And if you're not following him, then you're not his disciple. You get, you get in the pattern where I'm going backward? Listen to me. If you're not his disciple and you haven't enrolled in his college, then maybe you've never been to the cross and you've never been saved and you don't have the Spirit of God in you that grows the fruit of righteousness through you. I'm just taking it in the diminutive, taking it backward. See, there's always going to be evidence. That's the way you decide things at the judgment seat. The evidence. I had somebody tell me the other day that one preacher taught all the time and you'd question whether he was even saved or not. Oh, you got to get saved. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you to, to dig in here and become a Berean and saying, am I following man or am I following the voice of God? Am I being led by the Spirit of God or am I following a movement or a person? Am I truly hearing the voice of God and bearing fruits worthy of repentance? That's what he said to the nation of Israel. He called them a brood of vipers and said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You'll see the evidence that your mind has changed, your direction has changed, your God has changed because now you're serving the God of Israel. It convicts me. I don't know if it convicts you guys. I'm pretty convicted. I mean, I'm going to uh, cry out to Jesus for sure.
And the end of that verse, 26, is, and also, if conditional, anyone, whomsoever, serves me, him my Father will honor. My goodness, that's amazing. It can mean, he put, it, it means to prize or fix a value upon, but it can also mean the finish line. He will glorify you. He'll take you home. He'll finish it for you. But then here's little Gethsemane, and we'll close here in a minute. Now my soul is troubled. That's his flesh. That's his rational mind. He's 100% flesh, 100% God. His mind, will, and emotions. This is where he settles it at. He's troubled. He's agitated because he knows where he's going. He knows his hour is here also. And this is our hour. It should shake our flesh. It should make us not listen to our flesh, but listen to the truth of God and the word of God and obey God so that we know we're not deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. He's going through it, and he knew he was going to go through it. This is what he was designed for. What are you designed for? What were you called to do? So he says, Father, speaks to, it's a prayer, glorify your name. And what happens as soon as he spoke, a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I think that's amazing that a voice spoke out of heaven again. Remember it did at his baptism? Remember last week when he prayed for Lazarus, he said, I am not doing this for, 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 for my sake, but for your sake. He wanted to see you to see the example that when he wanted somebody to come out of the grave, he prayed to the Father. And the Father always hears him, he said. And now he's praying, and listen, he's going to say in a minute, that voice came not for Jesus. It wasn't to encourage Jesus. It wasn't to encourage Jesus. It was for those around. Watch this, watch this, because this voice comes out of heaven from the Father, assuring him of the truth that he already knew. And look what the people had to decide. Look what they decide. 29. Therefore, that's what it's there for, the people who stood by and heard it, notice they heard it. Pay attention to me. This is very important. Because two different groups heard it and they came to two different conclusions. Guess what? Both of them were wrong. The text already tells us the truth. Watch this. They came to two different conclusions and they were both wrong. Watch it. One of them thought it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Now we just told, we were just told in the text that the father spoke, not an angel. And we know it wasn't thunder. So some people will hear the word of God and the truth of God and the voice of God and they will say it was natural, it was just thunder. Others will try to make it supernatural and follow something that it's not. We want to hear the truth. And Jesus goes on to tell us the truth. You cannot sit around and let somebody else tell you what's going on because you'll end up following thunder or you'll end up following an angel and the devil can come as an angel of light. Amen. You want to be following the plan of the Father. It's the same thing that was going on with David and Goliath, and there's two kingdoms there, and they're both trying to get David, who's a type of Christ, to, use, to, to, to be one, to be afraid of them, the Philistines. The other, Saul's trying to get David to put on his armor and fight like the world. 
And he said, nah, that hasn't been tested. I'm going to go back to the father. He's been taking care of me. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. I'm going to just use the, the weapons that I already have for my warfare. And I'm going to get these five smooth stones. I'm going to take my sling. And I'm going to go down there trusting the Lord. And then I get to cut his head off. And I get to go pick up the inheritance and say, let's go, people. Listen to me. It's the same battle. Do you believe it thundered? When I'm up here talking, is he loud? Did he thunder? When I'm up here talking, did the angel speak or is God speaking to you? Because you need to hear God's voice. Don't follow thunder. Don't follow me. You need to hear what God has to say to the church. He who has the ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Because deceivers have went out to deceive the elect if it were possible. Look what he says there. What is it, 31? We're closing, I promise. 30. Jesus answered and said to them, See, there's always an answer. His word always answers what's going on. The voice did not come because of me. But for you, for your sake, that voice came. Listen, why did God send the word of God? Why did Jesus come? For your sake. Jesus can't be changed. He's, he's perfectly God. The voice spoke from heaven. The word of God come to earth and took flesh. And we behold his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. It's for our sake. Not for Jesus. He's already perfect. We can't change him. We can't add to him. He's not thunder. He's not an angel. He's God, very God, and he came to save us and lead us out of our death, and he's defeated death. And if you hear his voice today, and do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness, you can go across the finish line with him. Because look what he says, now, he made the decision now, it's over with now, little Gethsemane. The decision is made. His hour has come. He's on his way. It's not going to be changed. For this purpose I came. I'm dying on the cross. I know it's getting ready to happen. Tent in the sun. Happens at twilight on the 14th in the sun. He's in the grave for three days. He gets up on the 17th in the sun. Brilliant minds can show you how that was the same day that the ark opened. That Noah opened the ark of the door. And new life began. That's amazing to me. I can't do it. Something to do with some calendars. Now is the judgment, the crisis, it's eternal judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Look at that word. That's an amazing word. Cast out. Send away. Death has been defeated. The devil has no more power. He's cast out. And then he says the same thing we've been saying. And if I am lifted up from the earth, this is a cross by what death, will draw all peoples to myself. There, there it is, 33. Is that how old he was when he died? Uh, 33. This he said signifying by what death he would die. The cross lifted up on a pole, taken our curse. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? 
Who is the Son of Man? Now listen to me. This is another thing that's very interesting. Notice by what they said that they understood that lifted up meant he had to die. We've heard he remains forever. They understood lifted up as the cross. They understood lifted up. I don't know if it was slang for the day. The Romans are going to lift them up. I don't know what was going on here, but they knew that he wasn't going to remain and abide and continue. They knew he was going to the grave. And it's confusing them because they've been taught that when he comes, he's going to restore the kingdom to the days of Solomon and all roads will lead through Jerusalem again. But they didn't want to talk about him coming and dying and they lied to the people and they spiritualized that aspect of it. But him being in power, they wanted to promote. But they knew he, he was saying, I'm going to go die. And it confused them. They couldn't figure it out because they'd been lied to by bad teaching. And that's when Jesus tells them, and we'll close, and we'll kind of dovetail into this next week. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Remember, he said, I'm the light of the world. Walk, peripateo, that's how you're living. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Listen, if you're not walking and following the light, you're going back into darkness, into the grave. And then eventually that darkness will overtake you. How dark is your darkness if you're following darkness? Well, I don't know. I can't see where I'm going. I don't have any light. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Do you know where you're going today? Are you still afraid of death? While you have the light, believe, pistio, trust in the light, commit to the light, that you may become children of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Crypto. He was hidden from them. He went away in secret because why? It's not the 14th in Hassan yet. We'll get to that. See, this he's going to walk us through this all the way into 1812. He walks us all the way through this. Listen. With the disciples with him. And he's explaining to them all the way through it. What we need to do. How we need to live. Until he gets to the garden. Because he's going to go. Next, uh, next week we'll see that. We already have that which judges us. It's the word of God. It's already here. It's over here in 1245, I think. The word of God. Everything we need is this one textbook. And then he's going to wash their feet. He's going to become the lowest servant in chapter 13. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that we were once blind, but now we see. And Lord, if we would claim that, then we pray that we would follow you out of the grave. Make a triumphal entry into our lives. And allow us to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Give us a desire to be in your word, prayer, and fellowship. Give us a desire to be concerned about the souls that are sitting next to us and around us with the one another ministry. Lord, wake us up at the heart of our Christian walk that we would not forget you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. 
If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?